On the Way Home is proudly supported by Ellis Dong Community Builders, a group formed within the Ellis Dong group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging Ellis Dong's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all that a world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdon.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am one of your hosts, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, wait a second. No, no, not as always. I'm joined by a new host today. Uh, one of our awesome co-hosts that jumps in whenever we need her, Meg Shanks Marshall. Meg from Blue Door, how are you doing? Hi, Michael. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for allowing me to step in. Well, thank you to Stefania. Um, but I'm super excited to talk to Justine today about her research. Really excited to have another opportunity to co-host. So thank you for having me. Hey, it's awesome that you're here, Meg. You're always welcome on the way home. Before we get to uh, introducing our amazing guests, uh, what's going on at Blue Door? Anything exciting? We have so many th exciting things happening. We are planning right now for all of our holiday campaigns. So it is a very busy time on our team. We are also planning and fundraising for the Hockey Helps the Homeless Tournament, which we are beneficiary for. Uh, it's on December 10th, and we are signing people up, getting people ready to go at the Newmarket Magnus Center. So lots of exciting things happening. And it's also CAEH's national conference this week, which is so exciting. And part of the reason why I'm helping out uh, while Stefania is away working on that. Yes, yes, she has lots, uh, lots going on there. And we're hoping next year at this point, we will be uh, at that conference in person doing some live uh, podcasting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Hockey Helps the Homeless. Um, well, you know what I should say? I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm both excited and a little scared, Meg, because uh, helping to raise money for that, I said I'd step on the ice. This will be my second time. Uh, being on skates in 30 years and there, there's not a, I always tell myself I'm going to have some lead time and I'm going to practice that's not going to happen I'll get on the ice for my first shift and uh, see how uh, how it goes but they're they're a great group uh, and they, they do a fantastic tournament raising millions across Canada with all these tournaments to prevent and end homelessness um, listen Meg we have uh, we have an awesome team at Blue Door you're part of that I know you know that over the past couple of years, why this work, um, working with our most vulnerable is, is always uh, so, so tough. The past two years, even more so, we're seeing it. Um, you know, and, and I, these are frontline heroes. 
uh, Blue Door and throughout the country that are doing this work. And I have to say, like when the pandemic first started, we thought, wow, this is going to hit our most vulnerable um, more, more than anyone. Um, but although it did, of course, and there's some tragedy uh, because of the heroic efforts of our frontline heroes at uh, working in emergency housing and shelters, um, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as predicted because they're, they're so amazing and they, they really did pivot. And, and on that note, kind of leads me to today's guest. Um, so today with us, we have uh, Justine Levesque from uh, the Canadian Observatory and Homelessness. So she is the Research and Evaluation Officer at Hub Solutions, a social enterprise at the Canadian Observatory and Homelessness. Justine is passionate about using participatory research approaches to create collaborative spaces for people with lived experiences to be research partners and not simply research participants. Nothing for us without us. Love that, Justine. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, the invitation. Of course, Justine, we're so excited to have you. And recently with our show, we started asking one question to all our guests. We usually get lots of interesting responses, so I'm excited to hear what you think. So we want to start off with what does home mean to you? Yeah, so this is a great question, and my answer is probably not new, and it's probably a little bit cheesy. Um, but for me, like, I don't define home as any one, like, physical structure as and um, as more of a place within like a family or within a community where I feel the safest or where I feel, I guess, like a sense of belonging. And so a lot of my family lives in Guelph, but I would never say that Guelph is my home because um, I'm, you know, I'm located in Peterborough. But I do say that I feel at home when I'm visiting my family there. Yes, yeah, so well, awesome well put. I mean, home. Yeah, yeah I mean, home can have uh, many different, uh, many different meanings. Uh, Jesse, recently you and the team completed a research project called Understanding the Needs of Workers in the Homeless Support Sector. Can you tell us about how this report came to be? Yes. So like a lot of research, we kind of built on the existing research that's out there. Um, and the existing research, you know, that tells us that in sectors that work with, you know, individuals and families with complex needs, like in the homelessness support sector, um, these, these sectors face major staffing challenges, and this can include things like, you know, burnout and high rates of employee um, turnover and low rates of retention. And then you add in the pandemic and the stress of the pandemic, um, and we've seen in other sectors that these pre-existing um, staffing challenges can be exacerbated by the pandemic. And so this project kind of came, came about um, with a partnership with Reaching Home to one, better understand the staffing challenges that were preceding the pandemic, and then that were then exacerbated by the pandemic. And that includes things like precarious employment, and again, employee retention and turnover, and then issues including like discrimination and harassment that are experienced by frontline staff across the sector in Canada. And then secondly, we wanted to also identify avenues to improve employment and workplace conditions in order to protect frontline staff and respond to their needs in the context of the sector, specifically in Canada. Now, you've kind of touched on this already in your last statement, but if you had to sum it up to maybe two or three, what were the main areas of focus for this project? What were you hoping to get out of it? Yeah, so we collected a lot, a lot of data for this project. Um, and if I had to kind of hone it in into two key areas, I would say 
Um, the first being to identify like the key skills that are needed to work in this sector. So what that includes is what types of training are frontline workers, first of all, expected to have to gain employment in the sector, and then what can they expect to receive an, as training when they're in the sector in different positions, as well as the different um, education requirements, different technical skills, interpersonal skills. You know, what does relevant experience mean? You see that all the time in job advertisement, but what does that specifically mean when you're applying to jobs? Um, and also, where does lived experience of homelessness fit within job requirements? And then the second more like primary focus for this research project was to generate a really comprehensive understanding of the magnitude of, again, precarious employment, employee retention and turnover, and discrimination in the sector, and then understand what factors can contribute to these issues and how they can be addressed. And we wanted to really capture the perspectives of both frontline staff as well as ex executive directors from homeless serving organizations across Canada. And to do this, we took a mixed methods approach to the project. And so to gain kind of the insight on the key skills, we reviewed actual job advertisements that were posted on job boards across Canada for positions in the sector. And then we also launched an online survey for frontline workers to respond to. And then we interviewed executive directors as well um, from homeless serving organizations across the sector, across Canada. Wow, what, what an important piece of research. I know in my short time in, in the research world, um, there, there's not a lot in that area and it's so nice to have the opportunity to get frontline workers to share their voice, share their experiences because it's such a complex position. Um, so thank you for doing that research. And while I'm sure a lot of the work confirmed what we might already know, were there any big surprises in the research and any that were not? Yeah, so I think the issue of safety um, is brought up in a lot of the existing research, which you're right, a lot of it wasn't done in the Canadian context, a lot of it was from the US. Um, but in existing research, safety is one of the things that's brought up. And in our research, 100% of the interview participants, so every executive director we interviewed, discussed safety as an ongoing issue outside of the context of the pandemic, and I'll get into the safety during the pandemic um, as well, but outside of the context of the pandemic, safety is an issue. Um, and our participants gave examples of things like, you know, clients bringing weapons into the shelter, so things like guns and knives and staff having to respond to that situation as well as responding to clients who are in mental health crises who become, or who could become aggressive or violent. And so even though we interviewed participants who were in organizations in different places in Canada, and that serve different populations and provide different types of services, safety concerns seem to be just a universal issue across the sector. And that part was not really a major surprise to hear. But what was surprising was that there seems to be a kind of a disconnect um, when we asked frontline staff on the survey what types of training are needed or what types of training they feel are needed or should be provided to them versus what types of training that they actually receive from their work or from their organizations. And this again reflects the, the safety piece and the safety issue because a lot of the types of training that frontline staff felt were needed were the types of training that could help them respond to safety issues or potential safety threats. So on our survey, the strongest support um, was for training to deal with aggressive, violent, disruptive or problem behaviors so 37% of the frontline staff that responded to our survey wanted that type of training. And when we asked, had you received that type of training, only 24.8% said they had received that type of training. So there's a, a fairly large gap there between what type of training is received and what type of training is actually needed. And then we see a pretty large gap actually in another type of training as well. And this type of training 
was um, training to deal with sexual harassment. And so this was really strongly supported, again, with almost a third of the participants, 31.7%, wanting this type of training. And then much lower, only 8.9% said they had received this type of training in the past from their organization. And that statistic to me is really surprising because it just shows that there, there is a pretty significant gap in between that type of training there. But that sexual harassment may be um, a fairly frequent occurrence in the sector and that if it's not being confronted, it can be create can be creating a fairly unsafe work environment, and that could be contributing to high rates of turnover that we are seeing in the sector. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, Complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, that's a great point to make and I think something that people might not necessarily think of right away. Um, so that's really important. And I think I, think I might know the answer to this question. Um, but did the pandemic affect frontline workers in the sector and how so? Yeah, so a lot of the answers that we got to the COVID-19 questions align with a lot of the research that's come out over the past year. And as well, just like a lot of the news reports that are out there for other sectors and for other industries. And so on our survey, we heard specifically that 51% of frontline staff were working more hours during the pandemic. And this included just things like having more increased day-to-day -day responsibilities, you know, with extra sanitation and screening that had to go on daily. And then with new facilities needed to be opened up um, for like say shelter residents who needed to isolate or quarantine if they tested positive for COVID-19, making more shelter space um, available when you need to have, you know, six feet dis distance um, between shelter beds and things like that and placing um, additional responsibilities on existing staff. Um, but then again, you might expect that frontline workers in this sector would be considered essential workers and would receive the same pandemic pay as other essential workers like healthcare workers. But um, on our survey, we found that just under half, so 49% of frontline workers said that they had received pandemic pay. So almost half of the workers, just actually just over half of the workers had not received any type of pandemic pay. And this um, survey was um, released in April 2021, so it was, a, it was about a year into the pandemic and they hadn't received any type of pandemic pay, which is very surprising. So you have a combination of frontline staff working more hours in environments where they are at a much higher risk to contract COVID-19, and yet they're not being compensated to align with the reality of work that they're doing during the pandemic, right? And then, as I mentioned you know, before, the safety piece, right? During the pandemic was a major concern, um, and this specifically was re related to a lack of personal protective equipment and a lack of training to ensure like workplace safety. So we heard that about a third, 32.6% 32 of survey respondents did not have PPE readily available to them in their jobs. Um, and this is a year into the pandemic. And then only about half had received some type of COVID-19 related training in the past 12 months. And so, you know, in some cases staff are working in, you know, the temporary isolation hotels where 
that are created, you know, to purposely house shelter residents um, with COVID-19 or who were close contacts of post positive cases, and they're working there without the adequate physical resources or the skills to protect their own health or protect the, the health of their clients and service users. And so we heard from, you know, executive directors in the um, interviews that staff were really, really concerned about their own personal safety and contracting COVID-19 themselves, but also concerned about bringing it home to their families, right? And then a third piece, there's so much COVID information that I could give you from this research, but a third piece with that uh, is the mental strain. So this was described a lot um, during the interviews. And we had quite a few examples um, from the executive directors about frontline workers bringing different, um, different um, issues to them related to mental strain, including like burnout and stress. Um, there was just a lot of examples of frontline workers having heightened and intense feelings of anxiety and fear and stress in general about you know living during a pandemic and then you layer in trying to manage work expect expectations during the pandemic layer in working very closely with people who are testing positive for COVID-19 and trying to manage you know the, the, the just manage your mental health in general um, during a pandemic and then we did have some examples of how executive directors tried to manage um, the mental health supports for their staff and they were doing some great things. Some of the um, executive directors said that they brought some counselors on site for staff um, to access if they needed at work so they didn't have to do that outside of work. But really, um, you know, frontline workers are just feeling the impacts of COVID-19 at work and these impacts are really like seeping into their home lives as well. So it's really difficult to maintain kind of like that work-life balance that you're, you're hearing is really important to do, but they're really not being able to do that at this point. Um, and it's been ongoing and just a really difficult time to, mental, to, to cope mentally really over the past year and a half. Now, you've done a similar survey or you did a similar survey recently uh, with caregivers to seniors right at the beginning of the pandemic. And this one was uh, more a year in. Can you talk about any similarities you saw as well? Maybe some of the differences. Yes, so this is um, really interesting for me because there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between these two studies. And the caregiver research we wrapped up in December 2020. Um, and so in both these projects, you have a vulnerable population, right? So you have in one case, the frail older adults, and then in the other case, you have people experiencing homelessness. And then you also have a population of frontline workers. So in the caregiver, we ha caregiver research, we had the formal caregivers specifically in the home care sector. And then in this research, you have the service providers in the homelessness sector. And in the caregiver research, we heard some similar impacts um, from the pandemic. So that included things like, again, burnout and increasing stress, lack of PPE very, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And then again, in some cases, there were feeling, um, feeling like they were not being adequately compensated for the work they're doing, especially some positions like PSWs compared to other positions in the home care sector, feeling like they weren't um, adequately compensated. And all of those things, again, we heard in this research with, home, with um, frontline workers in the homelessness sector. But there was one major theme that came out in the interviews, especially with um, the executive directors from homeless serving organizations. And that is a piece of underappreciation for the homelessness sector like at large, as well as the staff in the sector and the work that they're doing. And I think that there's like a really great quote from one of our participants that captures this issue really, really well. And I would like to share that. Um, and this participant said, you know, externally, there's a feeling that homeless sector staff are not seen as professionals. I mean, that was demonstrated in the early days of the pandemic when we weren't labeled as essential and yet we needed to show up. We couldn't close the doors. So there's a re real feeling of second classness with the sector in general. 
social services in general, but especially when you're dealing with a population that's not particularly respected within the citizenry. And so I think this quote is like really, really great from, from one of our participants, because I think it does in some cases come down to the population that this sector is serving, because there still continues to be a stigma and harmful societal beliefs surrounding homelessness, as well as substance use and addiction and mental health, all of which intersect with homelessness, right? And so you see that then translate into a lack of resources and a lack of funding in the sector, which again translates into impacts um, to frontline workers in the sector. And this was not an issue that was described in the research that I did with caregivers. You know, we see, um, we see actually temporary pay increases being given to all of the healthcare workers. And then even now, the Ontario government at least is introducing some tuition um, help for PSW specifically. And you see this recognition for the value of work that healthcare workers are doing, and they absolutely deserve that recognition 100%. And, and um, you also see people standing outside applauding for healthcare workers, and rightfully so. But then where is that same energy and where is the same recognition for the homelessness support sector, right? So, those, so definitely there's a, that's a very um, key major difference between those two projects. Now, can I ask you, what are your hopes for this research? Where do you hope it leads? You, you put it out there. And of course, you know, I know whenever you do this uh, hard work, you don't want it to sit on a shelf. What are your hopes for it? And even more importantly, where can people uh, take a look at the full report? I think there's kind of two pieces to that. I think there's more research that definitely needs to be done. Um, and with like a piece, um, with a, this, this discrimination and harassment piece, I think our research just barely scratched the surface on that issue. And I think more research definitely needs to be done that specifically involves more staff who identify as black and indigenous and other people of color, as well as staff who identify as LGBTQ2S+, and specifically involves um, those, those staff, right? So I think more research needs to be done there to identify you know, what that issue looks like and how that could be meaningfully addressed um, by organizations in the sector. So I think our, that was kind of a limitation in our study, is we didn't get too in-depth too in or in-depth enough in that specific issue. Um, so whether or not we continue to do research like that or other researchers out there can take on, you know, build on what we've already set a foundation for, that would be great. Um, and then we also created kind of like a set of seven core trainings that um, frontline staff should have in, you know, any position that they have in the sector. And that's something that I think organizations can take. And one of the things, there's a caveat to that because we heard this again and again and again from organizations is you need to have the funding to be able to offer these trainings, of course. So granted, they need the funding, but if there is the funding available, um, there's seven key trainings that should be offered to all frontline staff. And that includes first aid and CPR, nonviolent crisis intervention, principles of harm reduction. Um, I'm trying to think of all the rest of the seven off the top of my head. It's all in the, the report. Um, but there's a set of seven key trainings that will equip frontline staff with the necessary skills to keep themselves safe, but also provide the necessary services they need to people experiencing homelessness. So I think those two key pieces, those are really what I'm hoping for kind of in the, the near future to happen. Um, and the full report, uh, again, can be found at the Homeless Hub website, and then it can be shared on any um, of our Homeless Hub uh, social media, so Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Justine. It was so interesting to hear more about this research project and just hearing about especially those different resources um, for all the organizations to use. It's so important. 
And so thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And we will definitely go to the Homeless Hub, check out those resources, and encourage our listeners to do the same. So thank you. Thank you. Well, Meg, this one hits really close to home, of course, because you know we've we've witnessed uh, both of us have, have been witness to the heroics heroics of the frontline staff. Uh, but to know what the needs are, how they're feeling, to have this kind of research um, is great for us to take action and take some some real action and have some resources to attach to it around training. So, listen, uh, if you're if you work in this sector, if you're executive director or manager. Go to homelesshub.ca, check this out, check out this report, share it widely. We can be better as a sector. We need to be, uh, we need to support these frontline heroes. You're so right, Michael. It was so great to join in this conversation. Such an important discussion to have and to continue supporting our frontline staff who continually do life-saving work every day. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We are not through this yet, um, but lessons learned. This was hard work before the pandemic. It's not just pandemic related, but the pandemic uh, sure made things a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging. Listen, another great uh, guest here on On The Way Home. Uh, there's one every week. Listen to them every week. Share it widely. This is how change happens through awareness and education. We'll see you next time, Meg, On The Way Home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.